0: Okay, thank you. I'm Pastor Megan. It is good to be with you all during Family Worship Month. It is a really great pleasure that we have to be taught the word of God by the family of God today Rachel Toon is going to preach for us she's a daughter of this church she was raised by you all and of course raised by our own Mark and Cindy Toon I got a chance to get to know her as an adult which was fun I got to know her while she was at Whitworth as a student and she left her dad's alma mater did not go to Fuller guess where she went Gordon Conwell our alma mater Just saying. (laughs) Uh, We're really glad. You know, given a little bit of the Hackman family values, passing down to Rachel. Uh, We're really glad to have her. She's studying there, getting her Master of Divinity. She is under care of our denomination for the pastorate. What I love about Rachel is that she is not just getting her education on what we affectionately call the Holy Hill of Gordon-Conwell. She's also getting her education by living in a house intentionally with international students learning about what God is doing around the globe and I think maybe her most important education is coming in the nearby town of Beverly where uh, she works as a waitress at a jazz club so <laughs> she is uh, she's getting a very well-rounded education and uh, that positions her very well to speak to us about the a question that is particularly being asked by her generation in a world that prefers the bumper sticker coexist how are we going to live the gospel when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? And so Rachel is here to tackle that question for us today. So come on up, Rachel. Would you welcome her to the pulpit? <laughs> See, the only ministry inheritance I had to inherit was my mom was at the piano every time. So, I, so let's pray for you as you, as, as you preach the word. Holy Father, you are our Father, and so it is your Spirit who is at work in each of us. And you have gifted your daughter, Rachel, particularly to be the part of the body that speaks the Word. And so, Holy Spirit, would you be known today? Would you give us faith in the hearing of the Word that we might know and know your love in the exclusivity of your saving grace? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Hey, Chapel Hill. So, yeah, I'm the other tune, um, and obviously the better looking one, uh, which is which is why I'm here. That's fine. Uh, I did not plan on being here ever. Uh, <laughs> But but God has a funny habit of of shaking up our, our plans, doesn't he? And so here we are. Uh, before we kind of get rolling, um, thank you. you. You really did raise me. You got me through grade school and junior high and high school and college and seminary. And so thank you uh, for your prayers. You've made me the person that I am. I will need more of them today. Uh, and also, as I face the next season of life, I'm looking at maybe uh, more school because, you know, Um, so maybe doctoral work, maybe getting a job and making money. I hear people do that. It must be nice. Um, Or maybe the mission field as well, and so there's some things circling, so if uh, you could keep me in your prayers, uh, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. So this summer, I got to go to St. Andrews, Scotland for, you know, school sorts of things, and I checked in at the, the Boston Logan Airport, and they said, hey, all right, you're good to go, but you're going to pick up your last boarding pass for your last little leg in England. So I so. great, off we go. Six hours later, I land in Manchester. And then the, the airport people come, and they take us off the plane to customs where they stop us. And they ask for boarding passes as proof of travel. Because evidently, being escorted off of an airplane just isn't enough proof of travel. And so... I told them, well, I don't have that. Um, I was supposed to get it here. And the guy said, well, that's ridiculous. And I said, well, you're ridiculous. And so, you know, back it went. <laughs> and he finally said, okay, well, fine. Just go through and go pick it up at your gate. So off I go. I walk down to my gate. The plane is boarding and in a very calm, Christ-like manner. I say, can I please have my boarding pass? And she goes, oh, you can't get that here. You have to go down to the ticket office. So, okay, I dash down, plane's boarding, and I burst in in a very frenzied and very unchrist like manner, say, I need a boarding pass right now. And then the very sweet, Ellis-like little man comes over. <laughs> and goes, oh, you can't get that here. The lady who prints them is out to lunch. <laughs> At which point, of course, I just took all of my power not to scream, does anybody have any idea what they are talking about. And so I wonder if you have ever encountered someone who has felt that way about Christianity. Or maybe you felt that way sometimes. Is everybody just making stuff up? Does anybody really know what's going on? How do we know what's true? How do we even know if there is truth? Okay, so these are, some, these are some big questions, some good questions. And supposedly, I've been told we're in a series of fearless questions. And so here's a couple I'd like you to listen to. Why is Christianity the only right way? Isn't this intolerant? Why must God be objectively true and knowable in this postmodern world? How could Jesus be so arrogant to limit the path to heaven to just himself? Can there be... More paths to heaven? These are really good questions. And in our age, and especially with my generation, they're real important ones. Uh, But the good news is we are not the first to ask them. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John 18. We're going to look at the trial of Jesus before Pilate. So, hear the word of the Lord. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Pilate summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Do you think I'm a Jew? Pilate replied, It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. This is the word of the Lord. Mm. Lord God, this is the most important question we can ask. And we ask that you fill us up with your spirit. You've promised to do so because we've gathered in your name. And you reveal your truth to us. Amen. What is truth? Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Because see, Pilate, 2,000 years ago, is asking our question. And it's a little bit of a cliffhanger, isn't it? Because what does Jesus say? Let's, let's look. What's he say? What is truth, Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the, to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. So what's he say? I got all day. What's he say? Nothing. Yeah, that's why we keep you around. You're great. Um, yeah, Jesus doesn't say anything. Pilate doesn't give him the chance, does he? He turns around and he walks away. So what gives? Why doesn't Jesus answer if this question is such a big deal? And here's, I think, the beauty of the gospel of John. And that's that Jesus doesn't directly answer this question because the rest of the gospel is his answer. Jesus doesn't just testify to the truth. He actually embodies it and we've known this the whole time we got a sneak preview in chapter one okay when John told us that the word who became flesh and dwelt among us that's Jesus he was full of grace and truth and then if you skip ahead to chapter 14 Jesus himself just tells us straight up I am the way and the truth and the life very good uh, the way, the truth, and the life. But in chapter 18, he does something a little different. He doesn't just tell us; he actually shows us. Because the cross and empty tomb, there where the one called truth actually defines it. He Jesus testifies to the truth that he's poured out grace and conquered death and redeemed humanity and allowed us to enter into his abundant life. But there's something else that we can pick up from here, and it's that sometimes the truth's kind of hard to see. And again, John's kind of filled us in on this because chapter one, right, even though the world was made through Jesus, the world didn't recognize him. And here, up in 18, Pilate literally stares truth in the face and completely misses him. So now we're kind of back where we started, come full circle. And so how do we know that we're back to our original question? How can we know that Jesus is true? And it might even be a little bit harder now to answer because of our worldview, which is called post-modernism. Everybody say postmodernism. That's good. And if you have not suffered through a philosophy class yet, or if it's been a while, we're going to give you a little lightning, a little lightning definition. So, of the many really cool things I've been able to visit during my time in Boston. One of my favorites is the Museum of Fine Arts. You just feel so classy when you walk down the hall, even if you don't actually know anything about art like myself. And art's kind of a funny thing, right? Because some of it you're going to look at eventually. And you would be like, hmm, that's some fine art, right? I mean, that's not open to discussion. Who's going to disagree with you on that? But then you might, let's just say, walk down the contemporary art section of the Museum of Fine Arts. And you might stumble upon Blanco y Verde. I'm just going to give you a second just to bask a little bit. Um, So that's a contemporary masterpiece, obviously. And if you're a kid, will you raise your hand, please, if you're a kid? yeah or kid at heart that 's fine. If you think you can do better, just keep it up. yeah i mean i don 't disagree with you and in full disclosure i don 't know anything about art I mean i can 't even draw, draw straight lines in my textbooks that 's why my roommate won 't let me borrow any of hers. Um, but supposedly, the message or the the idea behind contemporary art is it lets the viewer interpret or provide meaning for the piece, okay? So in theory, everybody can look at Blanco y Verde and see something different. Whether that is in fact the case, I leave you to decide. But this is the message of postmodernism, which is the dominant worldview of the Western world, because reality, meaning, truth, okay, these are all a product of our own experience, our own feelings, our own culture, our own opinions, they're shaped by all of those things, which means that truth is relative, it's unique to each context, and it's always changing. Which also means that according to postmodernism, there's no such thing as absolute truth, something that's true across the board. So if we're playing by these rules, how can one religion claim to be right and say that everybody else is wrong? Isn't that intolerant? Isn't that arrogant? How do we engage with this? Because aren't, aren't all religions, can't they be true in their own way? And those are good questions, and those are hard questions. But here's the deal. To claim that all religions of the world are true is simply a logical contradiction. And it's because we're not claiming the same thing about who God is and about what the world's problem is. And if we try to believe that everybody can somehow be right, we're fooling ourselves. And, and we can break this down a little bit. I know that sounds really harsh. But, but let's just take a look at, at what I mean. So let's think about Islam. Islam is the just-do-it religion. It's the just-do-it religion. i are going to call it that because in Islam, fundamentally, so the core of your being, you're not actually bad. Human beings aren't bad. They're forgetful. Okay. They're forgetful. And so if that's your baseline, if you just need to be reminded enough times, that means if you work hard enough, if you practice doing good stuff enough times, eventually you're going to do enough good things that's going to tip the scale, and then God's going to love you, and he's going to let you into heaven. Okay? So just do it. Just get it done. Okay? Or let's look at, at Hinduism. Hinduism is the you-asked-for-it religion. Because in Hinduism, you get exactly what you deserve. At its core, it is just. Because the little girl who's starving in the gutter in Calcutta, she did something really awful in her previous life. And so she's got to do her time in order to work another rung up that ladder towards their ultimate goal, which is going to be non-existence. You just want to stop being. Okay, so you asked for it. Or let's, let's talk about nihilism. This is actually a philosophy, but it kind of shapes the way you think like, like a religion does. And nihilism is the nothing really matters position. Okay, so nihilism says that this world is one giant accident. You are a biological phenomenon. Your life has no meaning, no purpose. You're going to die and be eaten by worms. And that's it. I mean, that's the premise of that. You're going to be annihilated. You can kind of see how that, how that lines up. So those are three very different positions, aren't they? And then there's Christianity. And Christianity is going to say that he did it all. See, Christians say that we are not just forgetful. In fact, we're a train wreck. Because, see, we were, we were created good way back when, but then we disobeyed God, and so we inherited what Pastor Megan calls a, a sin orientation, Okay, so a bentness in our hearts. And we're never going to close the gap. We can never work hard enough. We can never try hard enough. That This is a pass-fail sort of thing. God doesn't grade on the curve. And we've all flunked out. Okay? We're not just forgetful. Christianity also says that you don't get exactly what you deserve. And thank God for that. Because what we deserve is death and permanent separation From God, And the only reason you don't have that coming is because of God's grace. Because of who God is and not because of anything you've contributed. And Christianity also says the world's not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not a biological phenomenon. You have purpose and meaning in this life because you are made in the image of God. And that God loved you enough to die, take what you had coming on his own shoulders... And draw you into his own abundant life. So when we talk about Christianity, we're talking about Jesus. It is all about what Jesus has done for us. And not what we have done for ourselves. So again, we're looking at very different claims, aren't we? And the fact is, if you lay all of those out... Someone is going to be right. And somebody is going to be wrong. And for the last 2,000 years, billions of people have bet everything they got on Jesus. But then again, here we are back again. Why should we believe Jesus? Why, why should we bet on him? Why should we think he's the truth? How do we know? And just like that, here we are back with Pilate, interrogating Jesus, because he's still on trial, isn't he? And so, to talk about how we can prove Jesus to be true... I want to call two witnesses. And so the first one is the witness of the word. It's the witness of scripture. Is anybody um, curious if I got on my airplane? Mm-hmm. I did. Um, so I was standing in the ticket office, getting very frustrated, ready to hit something. And, you know, the sweet little Ellis-like man came back. And he says, you know what? Come with me. Come with me, and I will, I'll take it to your gate, and we'll, just, we'll take care of it there. Okay, great. So off we go. The plane is about to leave. I'm still kind of flipping out a little bit. And he talks to the woman at the counter, and he, and he asks her to hand write me a boarding pass. I didn't think they could do that. And to be honest, I still don't think they can. Um, uh, but she, I, and I swear she pulled out like a receipt or a grocery list or something and just kind of put a seat number on it and said, okay, just fine. But that was all I needed, and I wasn't going to argue. I wasn't going to argue at all. And we know that Jesus is true because somebody has written something down for us. And that something is scripture. It is God's word. If you want to know who Jesus is, if you need proof, read his book. Read his book. It has been carefully copied and passed down through the centuries. You can trust it. It's authentic and it's reliable. And we can, we can talk about that a little bit, actually. So this is a nerd alert, okay? Just, those, those come. They do. Um, if a scholar is going to try and decide how authentic or reliable a really old document is, there's a couple things they grade on. And one of them is just how many copies are there, okay? How many are floating around? Uh, and how old are they? How similar are they? So, you know, the Peloponnesian War. I think that's some, some important Greek thing by Thucydides, I think never read it. Uh, there are about 73 copies floating around that are all pretty similar. Or there's Caesar's Gallic War. That's another one that's legit, another one I've never read and probably never will. Um, but there are 10 copies of that floating around. Uh, Want to take a guess how many we have in the New Testament? I can wait. Lots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Try 14,000. We're not making this stuff up. 14,000 fragments of the New Testament that correspond. Okay. So it's the real deal. But we're not just talking about some horribly boring history textbook either. Because this is God's word. And we call it that because it's living and active. And if you're not careful, it's going to transform your life. That's a fact. One of, my, one of my best friends in seminary, she grew up in Korea. And she became a Christian just by reading the Gospels. So, have you read them? And if you haven't tried this already, I encourage you to grab a friend and jump into the 90-day challenge. Where you read one chapter of the Gospels. So, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. Read one chapter every day for 90 days. Do it with a buddy. It's always more fun that way. Uh, And as you do, just pray this little prayer. Holy Spirit, will ye reveal the truth of who Jesus is to me? Because you don't just do this by yourself. I mean, we don't just read scripture on our own. That's where you can get some real weird stuff because we put our own sin into it. But we need the Holy Spirit to fill us and to reveal truth to us. And Jesus has promised that his spirit, his Holy Spirit, will come and he will be present. So don't just take somebody else's word for what the Bible says about Jesus. I double-dogged Daria. Read it and find out for yourself. So that's witness, witness number one. That's the Bible. But there's another really important way that we can know Jesus is the truth. And I would have never gotten on my airplane if it wasn't for the funny little British guy. And most of the time... We need somebody to grab us by the hand and say, hey, come with me. There's somebody I want you to meet. And that someone is the witness of the church. And we're not just talking about Chapel Hill either. We're talking about the church across the globe and throughout the centuries. Because the only reason you know who Jesus is is because apostles planted churches all around the Mediterranean. Because the martyrs died for him in the Colosseum. Because really faithful bishops and pastors and priests and lay people share Jesus with their kids and, it's, and their neighbors and it spread. Because 50 odd years ago, a group of folks decided to start a church named Chapel Hill. Because of Rosemary Lukens and Daryl DeHaven. Because of this crowd of witnesses. That is how we have encountered Jesus. Now, dad says a lot of the time, it takes great courage to study church history. And this is true, because there are people in it. And so, it's, it's something else. Uh, and the reason for that, okay, is the story of the church, it's really our own stories writ large, our own stories on a bigger stage, on a grander scale. And so, it's this big, just mix of sin and grace, and ugly and beautiful and really messy. And the same institution that... Uh, launched the Crusades, that started the Inquisition, that did some real nasty stuff, also invented hospitals and universities and adoption. But the church is called the body of Christ because it is the most prominent way Jesus has chosen to be present and active in the world. The church is where Jesus has promised to show up and keep showing up and that's why you can't be a Christian by yourself. If you are having a hard time believing Jesus is the truth, maybe you need to take a really big risk by getting to know his physical presence on this planet, and that is his church. If you have not thrown yourself into a church community, you will stay on the sidelines of God's current action in the world. If you want to know Jesus, maybe the place for you to start is getting to know his big, messy, faithful family. Do I hear an amen? amen. So these are two witnesses, okay? They're, the, they're scripture inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit and the faithful witness of the church. These are two ways God reveals the truth of who Jesus is. So we can read about his life. And teaching, but it doesn't stop there because through that the Holy Spirit transforms our own lives. We, with great humility, stand in the line of 2,000 years of faithful witness because this message was important enough for all those people to die for it. And if you're really open to the truth, these are powerful and they're compelling witnesses. And if you're doubting whether Jesus can really be the truth or not, don't just dabble. Jump in. Jump in with both feet. See for yourself. Read his gospel. Pray for his spirit. Invest in his church. But what if, let's just say, you speak a language where, in which the Bible hasn't been translated yet? Uh, what if you are from a place that's never even heard of the Holy Spirit? What if you live in a country where it's illegal to go to church? There are a lot of places like this around the world. So has God abandoned those people? Does God just not care? Do we just give up? Is God stymied as he can find these little boxes? Is it all hopeless? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Never, ever, ever underestimate the power and the love of God. It is so much bigger than we think it is. And so I want to call up one bonus witness who's a friend of mine uh, to testify to our truth-revealing, our self-revealing God. So I have a friend who's the member of a royal family in an African nation. Okay, we're going to call him Adam because we can't use his real name. But Adam's family actually brought Islam to his home country centuries ago. This guy is the real deal. He grew up with extravagant wealth, with the best education that money can buy. He had the Quran memorized by age 12. He became one of the world's leading scholars in Sharia law. So that's Islamic religious law. If there was anybody who would put money down on never becoming a Christian, it's Adam. Okay? Well, Adam was working in his office one afternoon. He left the door open because it was kind of hot. And he was just doing whatever it is that... Islamic religious scholars do in an afternoon. Um, when Jesus walked in and said, stop confusing my people. You think you know who I am, but you don't, so let me explain it for you. Just like that. And I asked him, I said, okay, Adam, like, so was, was it a vision? Like, I mean, what, try and help me kind of... You no, know, it wasn't a vision. I was awake. It was just a normal day. The Lord walked into my office. I've seen him. I've seen him with my own eyes. Um, and At that moment, Adam became a Christian, and his family has not only disowned him, there is a price on his head. He had to flee all over the African continent. He's currently in the States for the time being, which he said he kind of likes because when he goes to bed, he doesn't have to worry that someone's going to come and stab him in the night. He has lost everything because of Jesus. Everything. And you know something? He's one of the most humble, joyful Kind people I know. Because he believes that Jesus is worth it. That Jesus is true. That he's real. That he's the only way to really be free. The only source of abundant, real, lasting life. And that everything else is just a mirage that's going to fade. And Adam will tell you himself... That Jesus is the only way... And there is nobody... Nobody who is outside the reach of Jesus. So is Christianity intolerant? Um, If by intolerant you mean exclusive, absolutely. That's a fact. But when we say that the gospel is true 100% of the time, for 100% of the human population, it is actually the most loving, grace-filled claim that we can make. Because we're saying that the little girl starving in the gutter in Calcutta is precious to the king of the universe. We're saying that God's faithfulness to you is not about your obedience, not about how awesome you are, but on who he is and on his love. We're saying that the world is not an accident. It's not meaningless. It's not going to end in annihilation, but in recreation, that there is hope at the end of this story. We're saying that your life apart from Jesus is really no life at all, and that life in Christ is so much more wonderful than you could ever believe it to be. And this is also the most humble thing we could claim. Because when we speak gospel truth, we admit that we're a hot mess, that Jesus had to do everything for us because we couldn't get our act together. And we're also claiming that we have no right to judge anybody. But that the one who does died for us, forgives us, and lavishes love on anybody who wants it. So my challenge for you is this. Pilate walked away from his own question. Will you? Or will you dare to give Jesus the chance to answer? Will you read his gospel and pray for his spirit, invest in his church? And if you already love Jesus, will you tell your neighbors and your friends and family members and coworkers why? Because if Jesus really is the truth, if he really is all that he claims to be, it's the best news that you could ever share. Lord God, you are the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the one who sets us free. And so, God, we ask that for those of us who are struggling with you, that you give us the discipline and the courage to read your word, to jump into your church. God, those are hard things to enter into, but we know that by your power, nothing is impossible, and we thank you that you loved us enough to come and get us yourself. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Don't you? Hear me.
1: Mm-hmm.